The spoken word today is taken from Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we knew this about this particular professor of Greek in fact, he taught uh, Greek for an entire semester. And I knew him when I was in my undergraduate program, but when I was in my master's program of religion, systematic theology, we knew that if we just got him to talk a little bit about his trips to the Middle East, to the Holy Land, that he would be distracted for the rest of the lecture. All we had to do was just, would just have to ask him in, in just a subtle way, and, and suddenly he would just be off. And, and we guaranteed there would be no homework assignment that day. Uh, it'd be fantastic, there'd be no homework assignment. And then, and then at some point he would just kind of be flustered and, and apologize and, and step back in shock and say, I don't know how, the last two hours went by. And we'd be just like, yeah, we, we do, we do. We just, we just, we triggered it. And, and it just, you're like a Pavlov's dog, it just, you just went off and it disappeared. The difficulty is that, you know, we're not really impressed with that professor later on in our life because we thought, you know, how is it that he was just so bent on telling us this story here that uh, he had this hobby horse that no matter what happened, we could just say something and he would just have to go off and miss the entire lecture. So we didn't feel that good about him later on, but at the time it was kind of all right. I wonder sometimes whether we have this same thought about Paul when it comes to his message as well. He only had one subject. I mean, he only had this one subject. When Phoebe arrived in Rome, and you read this at the end of the letter Romans, uh, she had this 14-foot-long scroll, as she's reading there, and she stood in the community square, and she's going to read this scroll. I wondered if the people there were going to go say, oh, man, here we go again. Something from Paul. I mean, what do you think he's going to tell us this time? Did they throw tomatoes at her? Did they jeer and boo? Did they tweet horrible words? Or did they gather in a room and write their own scroll response and call it an invitation to uplift Jesus? But really just went off on their own little hobby horse, pretending that they were talking about Jesus. Or, or did they understand who he was talking about? 
and they stand on the edge of their seats or stand on their tippy toes, that they look around and think to themselves, man, if this person makes a noise, if they scratch their head, if they, if they cough, I'm going to be annoyed because I want to hear everything that Phoebe's going to say because it's so important. In fact, I'm going to write about this over and over again. I'm going to dissect this 14-foot letter and I'm going to copy it and I'm going to study it because there's something about this Jesus that Paul is talking about through the letter of Romans that is worth repeating. So here it is, question number one in your worship guide, a question on the screen here as well um, that I want you to consider today. I have three questions for you, um, and these questions we'll discuss in some of the connect groups. I hope you'll do this in your life groups as well, but here's the question number one. What is worth repeating in your life? What is worth repeating in your life? I mean, look, you can never come to me and say, look, I, I have uh, this little single strawberry and, and I wondered whether you want it. And I would never say to you, no, I don't want that strawberry. I will always say, yes, thank you. What a blessing that is. In fact, Diane Johnson somehow ended up at church this week with, with some strawberries. And I was like, I don't even know how, why and how. I just suddenly found this on my desk. I was like, this is great. I'm, I'm all in favor of accepting those strawberries. In fact, some things are worth repeating in fact, you know, strawberries, I would say that they are kind of divine. Now, when I say that strawberries are divine, I don't want you getting all kind of weird about this. I'm not saying they're divine like in a mystical way. I'm not saying they're divine in an emergent way. I'm not saying they're divine in some kind of like weird way. I'm just saying that God created them on day three. All right? And, uh, and so because God created them and then he said it was good, it's divine. That's all. All right. I, 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 just in case somebody thought he said something kind of weird, I just want to clarify that kind of stuff. Some things are worth repeating. Everyone has something that's really worth repeating. I'm going to show you a photo that you see on the screen here. See this great photo here? Uh, this is, so I took this last week, um, and this is because it was Virginia Berlin's birthday. She is the wisest attending member of the church there. She's 91. That's where, yep. Absolutely. Jeanette Bell on the left side there, she's 87, and Bob, just a few months behind, is 90. Bob, you've got to catch up, uh, step it up there. Um, and so, as a side note, um, as I took the photo, um, Peter was there standing on the side, and uh, I, I was on the steps, the front of the church, and I was three steps down, and then as I finished, I stepped forward, and my boot got stuck inside that crack, that hole in the front of the step there, and I fell over, and I landed like one inch away from Virginia. And I'm pretty sure she thought it was over. It was like, I was like, it's done. And I, I'm pretty sure she's like, I don't know if that photo was worth it. It was just like, she, it was in her face. And I wish that Peter had had a camera to capture that moment, but no, because he had done carry a phone. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but anyway, <laughs> some things, I mean, we celebrate birthdays, we enjoy, some things are worth repeating, aren't they? Some things are worth repeating. We do this all the time. We celebrate birthdays all the time. It's good. If you were here last weekend, you would have heard Pastor Sam Leonore talking to you about mangoes. Mangoes is a euphemism for sex. So uh, how many mangoes do you have per week, uh, per month, per quarter? And all the married people said, some, yep, some things are worth repeating. Yes, or they said amen as well. Yes, absolutely. Notice that I said uh, all the married people uh, said some things. I just want to clarify that again. You know, I don't know, you can get quoted wrong. 
articles could come out, people think you said something. So I said, all married people enjoy mangoes. All right, so we laugh about food, we laugh about birthdays, we laugh about sex, but with God, when it comes to the core of who we are, is it worth repeating? Is it worth your consideration? Hmm? When you think about God, is it worth your consideration? Is it worth your time? For some people, when you wake up Saturday morning and you think, ah, church, let me celebrate the name of God. Or, or maybe do you think, ah, oh, Saturday morning, my bed. Hmm, I'll just stay snuggled up inside here. I follow uh, the Grey House, um, uh, which is uh, Dina and Elias' company and, and Danny as well. And so this is uh, one of their uh, Instagram posts that you'll see up here. Uh, the mountains are calling. Horrible. Do not follow them on Instagram. Um, unless you do not see this on Saturday morning. Because there's so many people who think that this is a message, a subliminal message saying, the mountains are calling on Sabbath. No, they're calling you on Sabbath after church. Uh-huh. They're calling you after church. Oh, no, no, I got that wrong. After connect groups? No, no. After fellowship lunch? Yes. Then the mountains are calling. Before that, the mountains are mute. There's not even an echo. The mountains are invisible. They don't exist. But after that, they are calling. And I need to have Grey House actually have like a little clause underneath there. This does not apply to anybody going to Boulder Church, and uh, you cannot click like here unless you agree. All right, so the, it's very important. For the Apostle Paul, though, he was consumed with this desire to retell the story of Jesus. And for the Apostle Paul, he was relentless in his pursuit of retelling the story of Jesus. And you pick this up in the very first seven verses that Robin read so beautifully for us uh, in Romans chapter one. You, you kind of get this idea because, you know, Paul could have done a very simple introduction. He could have said, hi, my name is Paul. I'm one of the apostles, I'm writing this letter. I'm on my way to Spain and I want to tell you about Jesus. But no, 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 not him. No, in his introduction, like he does with the Ephesians letter as well, he delivers this explosive truth about the gospel where he says, I need to tell you about the good news. I need to tell you about this powerful, powerful story here that the message is going to be delivered to you and it is going to change your life. In fact, who do you think who you think is in charge is not in charge. What you think you have put your faith in is not going to hold you. Who has called you and called you to a life of obedience, a very difficult sentence, which basically means a life of trust, is Jesus. And he states this very clearly in Romans chapter 7, in verse 7. He says this, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Called to belong to Jesus Christ. Is that worth repeating? I think so. It's worth repeating to people that you know, repeating to yourself that you belong to Jesus Christ. No matter how your week has gone, you belong to Jesus Christ. And that source, that story is just as important. Knowing where it comes from, where the narrative is important. Because question number two, what old narrative do you need to discard to believe you belong to Jesus today? There are so many narratives that we have, so many stories we've heard, that actually when they are imputed into us, when we listen to them, when we hear them, they actually change the way that we behave and the way that we think about things. 
Uh, I just I think I think about this all the time. I was just this week. I was with uh, Corinne Jensen at her school, and. Uh, uh, I went over there to help her with uh, one lesson where she wanted me to come and talk to the students about what living was like in England, that she's teaching them about energy and, and how they can conserve energy inside there. And so I was talking to them about this. And there was this really great class. And at the end, there was this one kid on the front there who stayed behind to chat, chat with myself and with Corrine. And he was telling me that he's going to get Apple certified this summer. And I was like, that's fantastic. Everybody in the church should be Apple certified. I mean, no, I don't know, absolutely. This is great, well done. And then he said to me, and then he's going to quit school. And my heart broke. He's 16 years old. He's like, yeah, I'm going to get old Macs, I'm going to fix these Macs, and I'm going to repair them, and I'm going to sell them, I'm going to make lots of money. It's going to be great. And I was just like devastated that somebody sold him this narrative, told him this narrative, that he doesn't need any education, that he doesn't need to go to school, that he can quit when he's 16, that he can go do this, that he can get this, this short-term boost of income right now and not think long-term about his life. Have you given up on finding balance in your life? Because it's really easy, right? There's lots of weird ideas about there. Have you given up on being healthy because the sugar rush is so good? Have you given up on trying to start your business because you've tried it so many times and it just like keeps on failing sometimes? You think, man, can I do this? Maybe I should just go get a regular job instead of trying to start my business. Have you given up on making new friends? Because it's just too easy to just be by yourself instead of inviting people to your home, instead of saying, let's go out and eat, because it's just hard to be rejected all the time. Have you given up on love because your heart was broken? Have you given up on Jesus because you need to control everything? When Adam and Eve were hiding in the garden after they had broken all their trust with Jesus, the very first question that he asked them as he walked down there in the garden, he said to them, who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you were naked? In other words, who gave you this new narrative? Who gives you this new identity? And from that moment, Jesus has been trying to fix our narrative to tell us I have a new way for you to be able to live when you live in the past you never move forward this is really important because so many of us live in the past instead of moving forward we dwell in the past and I'm not saying that you can't learn from the past I'm not saying burn all your bridges I have these I've met these people you know like I've decided to do this and they break all their uh, music and blah and they do all the same period stuff. I'm not saying destroy everything I'm just saying when you live in the past you never move forward if you just exist inside there you become victims of the past you dwell in the past all the time you let the past become your reality instead of allowing God to give you the new reality which is today and forward the bible is rich with stories like this. And you gotta know that, you know, the Apostle Paul didn't have the Second Testament, he only had the First Testament, and he found the Gospel rich inside there. He found all these stories inside there, and he read these stories, he knew these stories, and these stories spoke to him. They spoke to him so that he had to tell and retell. It was worth retelling over and over again, at any moment that he could, even in an introduction to a letter, just how powerful the gospel is, because it was an all-consuming story for him. He says to them, you Romans, us, you people in Boulder, it's worth retelling. He says, I know what it's like to be deceived. He had betrayed 
families. He had betrayed his community. He had betrayed children. He condemned them to be stoned. He knew what it is to have a community look at you and hate you. He knew what it was to look at himself in the mirror with disgust. He knew what it was to wake up in the morning and just think he can't forgive himself. And then he remembered the stories in the Bible. And he remembered Jacob of old. I'm pretty sure he did. He said, well, that guy, I mean, he lied to his father. He lied to his brother. He lied to his community. And he tricked them into giving him the birthright. He lied to everybody. You ever lied to your parents? You ever said to them, uh, I tried to, and, and then you did something entirely different? I, I, I remember vividly when I was a kid that um, my parents, I, I said to them, I, I was just going to go, uh, I was going to go to the bathroom. And instead of going to the bathroom, what I did is I actually snuck out the house, which is very, very similar, right? So I snuck out the house, and I went outside, and I went downstairs, and, and, uh, and I went out to meet my friends because we had agreed that day we were going to meet at like 8 o'clock at night. I mean, it's 8 o'clock at night, and I think my bedtime was like 8.15, so sure enough, I mean, it's not a very good plan, was it? So the bedtime comes along, and my parents are like, well, where is Japheth? I mean, he's got to be in the bathroom. It's taken a long time, these kids, I don't know, you know. And so they eventually went and knocked on the door and found out that nobody was in the bathroom. So then they're like scouring the whole area to try and find out where I am. And I'm down outside in another neighbor's house, down outside. And they had snuck out as well, and we're outside there. And I don't even remember what we were talking about. Something really, really irrelevant, but it sounded so cool. You lie to your parents, you deceive them, you break trust. Oh, to be able to earn that back, it felt so hard. It felt impossible. Jacob felt the remorse of this journey of his life. He carried this shame on himself. Eventually, one day, though, he's going to meet his brother Esau. You read about this in Genesis. He's going to meet his brother Esau. And he is overwhelmed with remorse, and he wants to be able to sort this out. And he doesn't know what he's going to do. He's confident, somehow, that, that there is nothing that's going to solve this. He knows there's no life insurance that's going to handle this. He sends his family away. He's like, I'm going to die. My brother's going to take me out. This is going to be horrible. And that night, while he's wrestling on this lifelong journey, he meets with Jesus. And you have this incredible story where he wrestles with Jesus. And it says there in Genesis 32, 28, I'm going to read it to you. It says there that Jesus gave him a new name at the crack of dawn that day. Then he said to him, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with man and have prevailed. I mean, he held on to him and said, bless me, make me whole again. I need to be reconciled with my family. I need to be reconciled. I need to be understood that I actually don't want to live this life. And God says to him, I'm going to change this. The gospel does this. It says that you are called in Jesus. It says that you need to wrestle in your journey with Jesus. And he, Jesus, will pull you through this. And your journey will be with him. The difficulty is, right, that we think following Jesus does not mean that we have to change. We think following Jesus means you just have to say, I love Jesus, and then it's just kind of done. It's like getting married and then saying, hey, I really appreciate the wedding. It was fantastic. See you in 20 years. 
right? And never have to talk to the person again, never have to do anything for them. It's not sincere. It's not like about committing to each other inside here. There is going to be change. There is going to be transformation. Watch how Jacob became Israel, which is a fantastic, drawn-out, beautiful story inside the Bible. Watch how Saul became the Apostle Paul, and all because they were simply honest. If you connect with Jesus, you're able to forgive yourself because Jesus has forgiven you. You're able to forgive others because Jesus has forgiven them. And you start to become what Paul has called and told us to in saying, you start to get a new narrative, this narrative of the gospel. So question number three, our final question this morning is this. What are you willing to risk for Jesus? This is a question that I placed in the Daily Walk on Thursday. It's one that Paul understood all too well and it's one that I think that we wrestle through all too often by ignoring it. Last night, uh, Becky and I were at a garden party just down the hill here on Mapleton Avenue, and uh, the owners, developers of the property next door, 311, uh, right here, were, had some guests over at somebody's house here, and uh, they had had this garden party to talk about what's happening with the development, so we went to this place. The host, at the end of the garden party, he got up and at the front of the, the garden, he said, look, I just want to tell you that I've been watching, hearing this side, that side, all this kind of stuff, I've been silent. And I just feel like I need to speak up, I need to do something. So he implored on all the neighbors saying, I need you to stand up and speak up and no longer be silent. He said, I just need to speak up, but I just, I want to encourage you to actually speak up. There are too many leaders today that are silent. And there are too many people that are silent. And the paralyzing agent, it's a drug, it's called fear. Fear. There's fear of failure, and there's fear of success, right? But the one that Paul highlights in his letter, and he's gonna do this all the way through, and next week, Pastor Jessica gets to preach on this and, and take, take us on this journey in here, but the one that is the most difficult one the one that we struggle with, that she draws out on the daily walk this week, is that it's the fear of rejection. When he says that he's not ashamed, there is this fear of rejection. We are silent, and we are motionless, and we are fragile people for the fear of rejection. Think about it. When you were younger and you were like interested in somebody, and you were like, should I ask this person out or not? Was it because you were fear of success that they would say yes? <laughs> Were you fearful of that? No, you were fearful maybe because of rejection, that they may say no, and how that would affect you. This is what held you back from the courage to go forward inside there, the risk of being inside there. So, at the risk of being rejected now by you, at the risk of being rejected by the church, at the risk of being rejected by my family, let me tell you what has been burning up in my bones as Jeremiah refers to it, as his soul says it inside me that I just cannot hold within that the Apostle Paul says the same thing as well. Some of you may already know this. In fact, I know that some of you come to this church at Boulder because you're present here and you know this because this church is not about just the past. This church is about the present and the future. We are defining the present and the future. Let me be clear about this. We are defining the present and the future. There may be others trying to do it, but we're doing it. And I want you to understand, and I want to be crystal clear about this, that we are defining it. So when you see that the church globally has got its head stuck in the sand, so deep 
that you can't barely see the bottom sticking out, right? I want you to look to Jesus, all right? When you feel like the church globally just is saying things, doing things, that just doesn't make any sense to you, I need you to look to Jesus. When you see that your church here, locally, has hurt you and failed you, I need you to look to Jesus. When you see that any of the pastors, when I have hurt you or I have let you down, I need you to look to Jesus. When people gather in a room and they talk about you, I need you to look to Jesus. When you feel ostracized, set aside, ignored and spoken of because somebody did something and said something, I need you, get what? To look to Jesus. When you long for your kids to be followers of God and fall in love again and trust Him wholeheartedly, I need you to just look to Jesus. When you long for the embrace of your partner and hope that they will love you again, I need you to look to Jesus. When you face unsurmountable debt and financial ruin and think there's no way out, I need you to look to Jesus. And when you don't have the courage to step forward and follow wherever He calls you, I need you to look to Jesus. Now there's some of you who experience great joy and love and happiness. And when you understand that death has been defeated, which is what Paul talks about in this passage, and when you understand that obedience basically means trust, and when you start to see grace is action, you get to celebrate it all by saying that you are looking at Jesus. But all of us, all of us need to do this. For we create this together, and we're part of this only if we covenant to do this together. This is why Paul wrote this letter. Um, it wasn't good enough for him to just say, oh, you know, I hope the church in Rome is going to be okay. They've heard about Jesus. I hope they kind of get the gospel. I hope they, they're just going to be just okay about this. He had to write the whole letter out so that they were absolutely crystal clear about what it meant to follow it. So let me spell it out for you. It's not enough for you to be in the comfort of your living room and say that you're a follower of Jesus. We need to come together and we need to lift each other up. I said to this lady yesterday that uh, she hasn't been to church in three decades and she doesn't live anywhere near us. She lives a long, long away. And I said, well, listen, that's what you need to do. Go back to church. She said, oh, I've tried the five churches around me. They don't, they're not really good. I said, well, don't go for you. Go to love somebody. Go to church and take care of someone. Stop being such a selfish so-and-so. It's not about you always. Go there and be Jesus for someone else. Go take care of someone else. We constantly make church just about ourselves. God says the gospel is much greater than just you. If you have not given your life to Jesus, I'm going to encourage you today to really think about this hard. Fill in a connect card, come and speak to me or one of the elders. Let's join one of the life groups. We've got lots of these life groups, lots of Bible studies. Commit your life to Jesus. Get baptized. Let us talk about this journey. Recommit your life to Jesus. If you're not supporting this church financially with your tithes and your offerings because you've got some kind of like struggle with yourself or something's going on, get yourself sorted out with Jesus. Go have a chat with him about this and sort out what you can do to make a difference because God has called you to be part of this community. If you have talents and gifts and ideas that you can use for this church and to forward the mission, then let's use them. Let's use them together. Let's make this difference. 
The call to follow Jesus is all-consuming. And we simply need to look to Jesus.